My name is Brian Kinsey, and I'm the pastor of First Pentecostal Church in Pensacola. I'm delighted that you're listening to this message, and I hope it blesses your life. If you'd like to submit a prayer request, or if you're interested in a personal Bible study, you can call us at 850-477-1100, or send us an email at firstpent at firstpent.org. We hope. Amen. And uh, on behalf of myself and my family, my wife and Dakota, my youngest daughter, uh, it's been a great honor to be here this week. Brother Kenzie is a hero of, uh, I still consider myself a young preacher. I have young guys calling me elder now. And every time they say it, I look around to see who else is in the room. Um, I still consider myself to be a young preacher. And Brother Kenzie is absolutely a hero to myself and my peers. And so to be able to stand in his pulpit and uh, preach is a great honor. And so once again, we give honor to your pastor. Amen. Have you know you're blessed with the best. Amen. And if you're here tonight and you're saying, man, I sure wish pastor was preaching. That makes two of us. I would much rather be listening to him preach tonight. He is a man of faith. Uh, I think every time I've heard him preach, he blesses the people that he preaches for. And I, I appreciate a man... It doesn't take a lot to get up and tear things down, but to bless people and build them up takes a lot of faith, amen, and in every season to bless people. And so I thank God for Brother Kenzie and the blessing that he and his family are to our movement, amen, to this church as well, and to uh, generations, amen. Certainly, Brother Strobel, Brother and Sister Strobel, we honor you all as well. And uh, Brother and Sister Stafford, what a great job they have done with the youth ministry and their youth team. Again, we give them honor. Caden and Claire. And I, I know a lot of times, you know, mom and dad do a lot of the work, but uh, the kids are a part of that as well. Uh, when mom and dad are working, they're uh, either staying out of the way or getting in the way or being told to get out of the way or something. Or some, some way, they, they're some way or the other. But we give honor to Caden and Claire as well. Thank you guys for your sacrifices you've made to make this week amazing. Amen. To this great youth group. How many of you love the youth group of this church? How many of you love Uprush? Amen. I've been, uh, I've just been uh, amazed at the way that they respond. Uh, Wednesday night, their response to the word of God, to the, to the worship and the word. Uh, Friday night, it was really just them. Maybe a few of the adults were there, but the way that they responded Friday night and then again this morning. And uh, really, I, I feel like the hand of God is on this youth group. Amen. I believe young men and young ladies are going to come out of this youth group that are going to do amazing things in the kingdom of God. Amen. How you will seal that with me right now with an amen. Amen. That, that word means so be it. That's a word of agreement. Amen. Let it be done. Amen. The, the, the world is speaking a lot of things over our young people. They're declaring what they will be. I think we need to say amen. Every time somebody speaks blessing over our young people, we need to say amen to that. We got young people out there in the world doing all kinds of things, getting involved in all kinds of movements, thinking that they're doing something good. But our young people in the house of God tonight, worshiping, giving their lives to God. And so I say amen over your future. I say amen over the blessings of God upon your lives. Amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 24. And I do give honor to my wife. We are uh, in between 23 and 24 years of marriage. Right, I think just about halfway through our 23rd year of marriage. And uh, I thank God for her. Brother Stafford mentioned it. 
Amen. I too have married up. Amen. I did a great job when I married. I may not have done good in a lot of areas of my life, but I did a good job when I decided who I was going to marry. And I believe this, the second most important decision you will make, second only to serving the Lord is the spouse that you choose. So choose wisely. Amen. They will either uh, lift you up or they will not lift you up. You can figure out what that is. And I thank God for a wife who lifts me up and encourages me, and certainly Dakota. Uh, we have four daughters. Dakota is the youngest of the four. My oldest, Brooke, is 22. And Brother Kenzie, I didn't ask your permission. I hope this is all right. She just released a single. Uh, Valerie, help me right now. Still here is the name of the single, Brooke Staten. There's two Brooke Statens if you go to iTunes, and it won't take you long to figure out which one is my daughter and which one's not. All right? If you choose the wrong one, you're going to say, how in the world did that guy get in our pulpit? If you choose the right one, you'll understand, though. So uh, if, if you want to support um, uh, apostolic ministry, and I know that this church does, uh, at least go on and listen to it, all right? But it's a great song, and I'm very proud of all of my daughters. My second daughter, Cameron, is at Indiana Bible College, and she was just selected out of Indiana Bible College as one of the eight speakers this year that will speak during Wednesday night service at Calvary. She is... I think already a better preacher than I am, and she's only um, 19 years old. And then Riley is our 17-year-old daughter, and Riley has just so many talents. Uh, I don't even know where to start. She can sing. She can speak. She just loves God. And then, of course, Dakota, who is my apostle. She's got a strong spirit, amen, and she loves God and loves people. And she couldn't wait to get to Sunday school today. And I know thank you guys for taking Dakota in and making her feel a part of Youth Week this week. All right, Luke 24. Say, if this guy preaches as long as an introduction, we're going to be here for a while tonight. Luke 24, verse 13, And behold, two of them, two disciples, went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs or seven miles. They talked together of all these things which had happened. Just to give context, all of these things would be the crucifixion, the burial and the rumored resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days. Down to verse 28 of the same chapter. And they, being these two disciples and Jesus with them, drew nigh unto that village Emmaus, whether they went. And he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. How many of you know that we need Jesus to abide with us? There's ever been a day that the church has got to get a hold of Jesus and say, Lord, we need you now. Amen. We don't need religion. We need Jesus. Amen. We don't need the form of godliness. We need the power thereof. Amen. We need Jesus. And they constrained him and said, Jesus, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is afar spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass. As he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him. He vanished out of their sight, and they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? 
Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. I want to preach for a little bit tonight on this thought, defeating disappointment. Amen. Defeating disappointment. One thing I love about the Word of God is it, 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 it does diagnose. There, there are things that we can find in the Scripture. We can identify problems in our life. We can identify areas of need. But the one thing I love about the Word of God is that it doesn't just identify the problem. It always gives us a solution. Amen. It always has the answer. Amen. Jesus said, I am. Amen. He, he is the eternal answer to whatever problem that we have. There's an old song that I remember singing as a child. I think it was a hymnal, but it just said, Jesus is the answer. Christ is the answer. Amen. There are many giants recognized in Scripture. Their names provided distinguishing characteristics explained to identify these truly larger-than-life beings. It is likely that tonight, if I were to survey the audience to name a giant, probably the first giant that we would name from the Scripture would be the warrior from Gath by the name of Goliath, a man of such stature and strength that an entire army hid whenever he spoke, standing somewhere between 9 and 10 feet tall. The Bible gives us some reference point not just as to his stature, but also to his strength when it tells us that the tip of the spear that he carried into battle weighed 600 shekels or approximately 15 pounds. And that was just the tip of the spear. Other giants mentioned in Bible are Saf, Lami, Ishbibanab. There was an unnamed warrior that the Bible tells us had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. And then there were the giants inhabiting the promised land of Canaan, identified as the sons of Anak. These giants inhabiting the land of Canaan caused the ten spies that had been sent forth by Moses to spy out the land. Moses said, just go survey the land that God's already given us. But instead, because of the stature of these giants, they came back not with a survey of what God had given them, but with the report that they could not inhabit what God had already promised them, leading to an entire generation forfeiting the promises of God. Yet I assure you tonight that of greater stature, power, and prominence than Goliath, Saf, Lami, Ishbibanab, the giant with 12 fingers and 12 toes, and all of the sons of Anak, bigger than all of those, and of greater stature and more intimidating than all of them individually or cumulative together is the giant tonight named Disappointment. I've watched people outlast incurable disease. I've watched people survive insurmountable opposition. I've watched them overcome overwhelming circumstances, things that I myself would look at and ask, could I make it through if I had to go through what they've gone through? Yet I've witnessed valiant men and women of God stare down disease, outlast affliction, and overcome when the odds were against them. But I've also watched as some of those same people wilted and withered in the furnace of disappointment. Such is the plight of these two disciples, one whose name is given Cleopas and the other whose name is not known. But these two disciples, as they travel the seven-mile stretch of road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and I believe that from the content of their conversation and the details provided within the context of the passage, we can accurately arrive at the accurate diagnosis that what these two disciples are dealing with 
is the giant of disappointment. Not only in their lives can we diagnose this, but from the content of this passage, I believe that we can also diagnose that there are people possibly even in this building tonight that are facing the giant of disappointment. The first thing that I would surmise from this passage that I would identify as a diagnosis of disappointment is they're dealing with the defeat of expectation, disappointment. If we simply study the word disappointment from the standpoint of etymology or the study of the word, disappointment means the the defeat of expectation or the failure of hope. If we simply took the structure of that word and we separate the prefix from the root of the word, if we take the first, the prefix dis, which means to do away with or to remove, and then we separate that from the root of appointment. So in other words, to be disappointed means that we have had the removal of an appointment. We've had a canceled appointment in our life. We're dealing with failed hopes and defeated expectation. The great patriot, one of our nation's founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, is credited with the statement when he said, blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. I wonder, has anybody had any appointments canceled over the last five months? If you have not, how about this? If you have not had a canceled appointment, you raise your hand. I don't think there's anybody that has not had canceled appointment from classes in school, vacations that have been postponed, amen? We are all dealing with disappointment we're dealing with removed appointments we're dealing with defeated expectation we're dealing with the failure of hope amen i i've i personally had uh, i was scheduled to preach three weeks in australia i've been looking forward to that one for a long time and I was looking forward to it and they called and said it's not happening and I was supposed to be going to Holland to preach an event there and they called and said it's not happening and I'm not the only one I know that there are people in this building tonight that you know what I'm talking about we're all dealing with disappointment amen anybody in the building that maybe you had an in-person presentation but it was changed to virtual that is disappointment we find these two disciples not knowing that it is resurrected Jesus that meets them on this road to Emmaus that they are talking to. But these two disciples are telling resurrected Jesus how disappointed they are in crucified and buried Jesus. And the three words that they use to form the phrase that clearly identifies their disappointment is found at the beginning of verse 21. And I believe that this is the essence of disappointment that is growing in our church today. As Brother Kinsey mentioned just a moment ago in the apostolic, in the Pentecostal church, I read a report recently that one out of five churches in North America is closing its doors already as a result of COVID. Why? Because we're dealing with disappointed saints. We're dealing with disappointed pastors. We're dealing with disappointed ministry. Amen. We're dealing with disappointment. The three words that I believe give the essence of disappointment in verse 21, as they talk to resurrected Jesus, they say of resurrected Jesus, they say, but we trusted. They went on to say this, we trusted 
And it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. What they were saying in essence is, we thought Jesus was going to do things a certain way. We thought that Jesus had come to be our Messiah. We thought that he had come to establish an earthly kingdom and overthrow the Roman government. We thought that Jesus was going to lead a revolution and he didn't do things the way we thought he was going to do them. Now we may not say it the way we, they did, we may not verbalize it as but we trusted. We might say it this way. We might say, I thought for sure it was going to turn out a different way. We might say it like this. It just made sense that it was going to end up different than the way it did. We might say it just felt like or it just seemed like or I was certain. However you might phrase it tonight and no matter how you might state it, it means the same thing for us as it did for them. It didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. Jesus didn't do it the way that I thought he was going to do it. However you phrase it, you're dealing with the giant of disappointment. Now, there are some sermons that are crafted through Bible study and exploration of a topic. You begin to study a scripture or, or maybe a topic or a thought that God gives you, and you begin to study that out. And the result of that is a sermon that you preach to a group of people to increase their faith. And then there are other sermons that are not simply the result of a thought or an idea or a passage of Scripture, but they are experience. They are the fire of experience that you yourself have had to walk through. I'm preaching to you tonight, not a theological sermon. I'm preaching to you a message that, like you, I've had to live in the last five months. I've been through COVID just like you have. But maybe at another level, about one year ago, my father-in-law, a whole missionary in New Mexico, was diagnosed by the doctors with ALS, with Lou Gehrig's disease. And immediately we began to pray. And, and, and we felt like in prayer that God had given us confirmation that he was going to be all right, that he was going to be healed. And, and we had preachers pray over us, and, and we felt like there was confirmation in those prayers that, that the sickness was not unto death, but that God was going to raise him up. And, and there were words spoken that, don't worry, it may get bad, but it's going to get better. Everything is going to be all right. But five weeks ago on a Saturday, we gathered in the mountains of New Mexico, and we laid that man of God. God, we laid his body to rest and I'm trying to be careful. I know my wife is here tonight, but that's not the way it was supposed to go. That's not the way it was supposed to end. It was supposed to end with him being raised up. It was supposed to end with him being healed. It was supposed to end a different way than it did. God, why didn't you do things the way that I thought you would? But we trusted. Disappointment. I know I might be the only person here right now that deals with disappointment. I'm sure everybody else in here, God's done everything exactly the way you thought he would. I'm sure he's done everything exactly the way you... How many of you can relate with me tonight that there's some things that God didn't do it the way that you thought he was going to do it? How many of you would go a step further and be honest with me right now and say that when that happened, you had to deal with the giant of disappointment? You had those questions begin to rise up in your mind like these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. God, we thought you were going to do things a different way. It just made sense that you would do it a different way than you did it. Further diagnosis of disappointment, overwhelming sadness. The first diagnosis is defeated expectation. 
The next diagnosis of these two disciples as they travel the road to Emmaus and saints that sit on our pews in 2020 is overwhelming sadness. In verse 17, as Jesus draws close to these disciples, he engages, he enters himself into their conversation. And the amplified version of verse 17, as Jesus does this, is rendered this way. He he says to them, what is this discussion that you are exchanging between yourselves as you walk along? And the Bible said they stood still looking sad and downcast, overwhelming sadness. Now, sadness is a part of life. How do you know that sadness, if you didn't know sadness, you wouldn't know joy? If you didn't know sadness, you wouldn't know happiness. It's simply a part of life. In fact, the writers of Ecclesiastes gives voice to the emotional ebbs and flows of life when it tells us that there is a time to weep and there is a time to laugh. He says there is a time to mourn and there is a time to dance. What is he saying? He's saying sadness is a part of life. There will be things that happen in life that leave you dealing with sadness, but overwhelming sadness is not the ebb and the flow of sadness. It's when you get stuck on sadness. It's when something happens in one area of your life, but it gets into every area of your life. It's when one thing happens, one relationship doesn't work out. And rather than it being isolated to that one relationship, it begins to bleed into every relationship. Overwhelming sadness. The third point of diagnosing disappointment as we see these disciples on the road to Emmaus, is desensitizing grief. Verse 16 tells us that after Jesus catches up to these disciples and begins to walk with them, it says that their eyes were holding. That word holding means restrained, that they should not know him. There was something restraining them. They're looking at a man that they had spent time with. These these are not casual observers of Jesus. These aren't people that had been in the crowd when he broke the the, the, the fish and the loaves and fed 5,000. These aren't people that had simply been in the audience when when he took that water and turned it into wine at the wedding of Cana. These aren't people that had just been around Jesus. These are people that had been in his presence day after day. These were not anonymous followers of Jesus. These were disciples. Disciples, they should have known his appearance. They should have recognized his voice. But they're looking at Jesus, but they can't recognize him because something is restraining them. What is it restraining them? They're dealing with disappointment. Jesus is standing right in front of them, and they're looking at him, but they can't see him. Looking at Jesus, but they don't see Jesus. And if that is not enough, verse 22 through 24... They testify and they tell Jesus that the women had been to the sepulcher and the women had told them, these were eyewitnesses, those women said, we saw the angel by the sepulcher and the angel told us Jesus is not here, he is risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They heard these women testify. They listened rather to these women testify, but they didn't really hear them. They looked, but they didn't see. They listened, but they didn't hear. And disappointment will make us numb to what God is doing all around us you begin to let disappointment settle in and God can be doing a miracle right in front of you and you see it but you don't really see it you look at what God is doing but you don't see what God let me tell you God is not done working in 2020 
I know we may be disappointed by COVID-19 and we might be disappointed by what's going on, but you need to open your eyes and realize that God is still in control. You need to open your ears and listen. There are testimonies that God is still in control. He's still a way maker. He's still a wonder working God. Come on, you ought to give him praise. Don't, don't let grief rob you of the ability to see what God is doing. Don't let grief rob you of the ability to hear the good news that God is still a healer. He's still a way maker. Come on, he's still the king of kings. We become desensitized. And even as Jesus is working right in front of us, we look at it, but we don't see it. We hear it, but we're not really listening. We, we, it's all around us, but we've become desensitized. Why? Because we're still wondering, why didn't you do what I thought you were going to do? Why didn't you do it the way that I thought you were going to do it? We are dealing with disappointment, so even as Jesus is working, we've still got him in the grave. We still think he's buried in a tomb. Don't you realize he's not in the tomb? He's not dead. He's alive. He's resurrected. He's got all power. At any moment, he can heal your body. At any moment, he can touch your mind. I wonder if anybody's heard anything good lately about Jesus. It's time to turn off the fake news and the bad news, and it's time to tune into the good news. Come on, I don't know what's going on in our nation, but I do know what's going on in the kingdom of heaven. Revival is coming to the church. Come on, revival is coming to the church. Somebody open your mouth and speak good news. Don't let CNN and Fox desensitize you. We can become so disappointed even in what's going on in our nation. And, and, and if, I don't know about you, but I've been a little disappointed. I'll just be honest. But, but, but you know what? That can't, I can't allow that to cause me to be desensitized. That when I come into the house of the Lord, that because of what's going on with our politicians and what's going on in our cities, that I walk into church and act like God's still not good. And I act like God's not in control. I got to shake myself and realize it doesn't matter what's going on in Washington, D.C. Come on, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I wish somebody give God praise right now. I'm not going to preach too much longer tonight, but some of you have allowed disappointment to desensit. Let me tell you, God's moving right now. He's moving right in front of you. Hallelujah. Preaching tonight about the danger of the giant of disappointment. People that are here tonight that trusted and it didn't turn out the way that you thought that it would. And now sadness has made its way into your vocabulary. The grief has desensitized you to the point that you can't see that God is still working. You aren't listening to the news of what God is doing. I'm preaching to somebody in this room tonight that is dealing with defeated expectation. You're struggling with failed hope and you're struggling with canceled appointments. There is a danger of not dealing with disappointment. 
First of all, let me tell you that disappointment doesn't run Jesus off. I've watched people that they begin, they begin to question, God, why didn't you do what I thought you were going to do, which I think is a natural human response. Amen. If you never believe that God could, just like Benjamin Franklin said, the best way not to be disappointed is don't have expectations. But when I believe that God can, and I believe that he's able, and he doesn't do it the way that I thought he would, in my humanity, I'm going to struggle a little bit with disappointment. But I've watched the enemy turn that around. I've watched the enemy turn that around and weaponize it into condemnation. That because you questioned, because you asked God, why didn't you do it the way I thought you were going to do it? Then the enemy drives people into a place of reclusion because he brings condemnation. Amen. But let me tell you tonight, your disappointment doesn't run Jesus off. He's not walking away from you because you didn't recognize him. He's not walking away from you because you didn't listen to those who said he's not in the tomb. He's not scared by your disappointment. Jesus knew these disciples were disappointed. He knew they were dealing with the defeat of expectations. He knew, he, he knew that things hadn't turned out the way they thought that they should. But guess what Jesus did? Verse 15 says he went with them. Amen. Even when they didn't recognize him, he went with them. Even when they didn't recognize his voice, he went with them. Amen. And after they voiced their disappointment, guess what he did? He kept on walking with them. He walked all the way to Emmaus with them and then acted like he would just keep on going. Let me tell you that Jesus is still with you. He knows that you're dealing with disappointment. He knows that you don't understand his ways because his ways are higher. I don't know about you, but when I recognized that, it took a load of condemnation off of me. Amen. It took a load of condemnation off of me to know that he's still with me, even though I'm disappointed, even though I don't understand all of his ways. He still loves me, and he's still walking with me. The real danger of disappointment is not that you're going to run Jesus off that you're going to end up somewhere you don't belong. If you don't get victory over disappointment, you're going to end up in a place that you don't belong. I'll say it this way. You're going to end up in the wrong place at the wrong time. The Bible tells us that these two disciples dealing with disappointment are on a, their way to a village called Emmaus. Now, most preachers that I've heard preach on this topic and Books that I've read relating to this topic, they refer to this entire encounter as the conversation on the road to Emmaus. That's how they refer to this. It was the dialogue between disciples and Jesus on the road to Emmaus. However, this seven-mile stretch of road to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, that seven-mile stretch of road that linked Jerusalem and Emmaus together, that road was never constructed to be a road to Emmaus. It was constructed and built. Every road that was connected to Jerusalem was not made to be a road to the village. It was made to be a road to Jerusalem. It was established as a pathway to get the worshipers into the holy mountain, into the holy city. Yes, they were on the right road, but they were going in the wrong direction. You're not on the road to Emmaus. You're on the road to Jerusalem. Yeah. 
Disappointment will put you on the right road but headed in the wrong direction. It's time for the church to turn around. It's not time to go back to Emmaus. It's time to climb the road to Jerusalem. Jerusalem! There wasn't anything for those two disciples back in Emmaus. Jerusalem is where the believers were gathered. Jerusalem is where in just a few days the Bible says Jesus would appear to these two men and the rest of the disciples and tell them, behold, my hands and my feet, it is I myself, handle me and see. Jerusalem is the place that the believers would gather in the upper room and they would tarry there for the promise. Jerusalem is where the place that in just a few days there would come a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it would feel all the house where they were sitting in and cloven tongues like as a fire would set upon each of them and they would speak with new tongues church there's nothing for us in Emmaus the promise is in Jerusalem the power is in Jerusalem everything we need is in Jerusalem it's not time to be on the right road but headed in the wrong direction Emmaus Represented where they were before Jesus called them. They were going back to what they used to be. Emmaus represented their life before Jesus had called them. Emmaus was a return to what they were before Jesus. Let me tell you, they were not walking to Emmaus. They were running from Jerusalem. And disappointment will turn you in the wrong direction and cause you to run from the call of God and run from the plan of God and run from the purpose of God. Disappointment will cause you to move. Oh, that's a cute sermon. No, this, this, isn't a, this isn't a sermon. This is observation. I've watched people get disappointed. And they still come to church, but they don't worship like they used to. I've watched people get disappointed and God didn't do it the way that they thought that he would do it. And they still go through the motions. They still stand during worship, but their heart's not in it. They they, they still pray and they still ask of God, but they don't ask in faith believing. Something happened. You see what happened? Disappointment will put you on on the right road, but headed in the wrong direction. But I made up in my mind, I'm going back to Jerusalem. It may not have worked out the way we thought it was going to, but the promise is still in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I'm not letting my worship grow cold. preaching to some disappointed people in this house that before you're disappointed before your disappointment came you were a different worshiper your praise was more powerful but you let the enemy turn you around and now you're on your way to Emmaus I wish you'd stand on your feet right now and let the devil know I'm going back to Jerusalem He didn't do it the way that I thought he would. He didn't answer the way I thought that he would. But I'm not going to Emmaus. I'm going to Jerusalem. My worship is not going to be less. My praise is not going to be less. Raise your hands with me and let's give God high praise. I'm preaching right at somebody in this house. I'm preaching directly to somebody in this building. You were disappointed. God didn't do it the way you thought he should. And you stayed on the right road. But you know that you're headed in the wrong direction. 
Maybe you buried a loved one that you thought God was going to heal. Maybe you had to fight through a sickness that you thought God was going to deliver you from. Maybe a relationship broke down that you thought God was going to restore and it didn't go the way you thought it would. And your worship has suffered and your praise has suffered and your faith isn't what it used to be. Right now is the right time to make up in your mind. I'm not going to end up in Emmaus. In the name of Jesus, somebody stir up the gift that is in you. Come on, somebody. There's nothing for me in Emmaus. There's nothing for me in the life he brought me out of. Can you say like Job, though he slay me yet? Will I trust him? It's not time, church, to go to Emmaus. I feel that intimidating spirit of hell making its way into our churches. I feel it as a pastor. Don't, don't get the people too excited in this season. It's just a different, hello, if there's ever been a time we need to move a God, it's right now. If there's ever been a time we need miracle signs and wonders, it's right now. It's not time for the church to go to Emmaus. It's time for the church to find an upper room. It's time for the church to get back to Jerusalem. I'm almost finished. I want us to close our eyes if we could. If, you, if you're in this building right now and you can relate on some level, disappointment. God didn't do it the way I thought he was going. First of all, I rebuke condemnation. The enemy would tell you because you've had questions and you didn't understand it that God's through with you. He's not. He's walking with you. The danger is not that God's going to depart from you. The danger is you're going to end up in Emmaus when you belong in Jerusalem. The danger is you're going to miss out on the greatest outpouring that God has ever given to mankind because you let your disappointment drive you back to what he brought you from. You let your disappointment take you back to Emmaus when everything that you've lived your life for is waiting on you in Jerusalem. Every sacrifice you made is waiting on you in Jerusalem. Everything you gave up to follow Jesus, the culmination of that is waiting for you in Jerusalem. Come on, church, we got to get to Jerusalem. Come on, it didn't go the way I thought it would. He didn't work it out the way that I made. It just made so much sense to me. I had it all planned out, God, if you'll do it this way. Lord, if you'll just do it like this, I can see such good coming out of it. And you didn't do it that way, God. Why? Why didn't you do it the way I thought you should? I'm, I'm just going to go back to Emmaus. That's the diagnosis, but there is a solution. I'm going to tell you what saved these two disciples. Because the story doesn't end with these two disciples in Emmaus. The story doesn't end with these two disciples Settling back down where God had brought them from back in the town of the village of Emmaus. That's not how the story ends. There is a turn in events. And the Bible says in verse 33, they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Why? What was it? What was it that saved two disappointed disciples? I'm going to tell you what it was. They were too desensitized to see even when they looked. And they were too desensitized to hear even when they listened. But after they had walked with Jesus for a while, 
And right after Jesus disappears, they turn to one another and they said, man, did you feel what I felt? Did you? I didn't want to say anything in the moment because I, I thought I was losing my mind. I may not have been able to see it and I may not have been able to hear it, but I still have the ability to feel the presence of God. I still have the ability to feel the power of God. And that's the only thing that's going to save the church in this hour. We've got to have a move of God that we can feel. I wonder, Pentecostals, do you feel what I feel? I walked into this building tonight and I felt Jesus in this house. I may be disappointed by what I see and I may be disappointed by what I hear, but I feel Jesus. And it was what they felt that caused them when Jesus acted like he would just keep walking, it was because they felt something that they grabbed a hold of Jesus and said, Jesus, don't leave us. We've got to have, we can't afford to play church in this hour. We can't afford to just do our, our normal routine. We need Jesus to show up every time we come together. Right now in this building, Jesus is moving. You may not be able to see him. You may not, you may not even believe what I'm telling you right now. But if you'll stop for a second, if you've got the Holy Ghost in you, then I know that you can feel what I feel right now. And that's the only thing that's going to save the church in this hour. Dead churches aren't going to make it in this hour. Churches that rely on performance aren't going to make it in this hour. Saints that have been playing church aren't going to make it in this hour. If you're going to make it, you're going to have to make up in your mind. Something has got to start burning on the inside of me. I can't afford to just show up and pay my tithes and go back. No, don't forget to do that. But don't just do that and go back to what you were. Talking to some disappointed saints in here tonight. You need to awaken your soul. You need to awaken your spirit right now. Jesus is still alive. He may not have done things the way that you thought he would, but let me tell you, that stone was rolled away. Let me tell you, he's not in the tomb. Let me tell you, he's a resurrected, risen Savior. Something's got to get a hold of us where we get a hold of Jesus and we say, Jesus, dwell with us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? He has anointed me to do what? Verse 3, to a point. I believe we're going to have the Holy Ghost coming. All the things that have been canceled, God's going to begin to anoint his church to create some expectation, to create some appointments. They're going to walk in our doors and everything's been canceled. They've been let down by this world. They've been let down by politics. They've been let down by salaries and income. But they walk into this church and there's a church that's got a hold of Jesus Christ. And there's some expectation and there's hope being reborn. I want to ask you right now, if you've been disappointed, I want you to come to this altar. You're on the right road, but you know you've been heading in the wrong direction. You might do enough that Pastor Kinsey doesn't recognize it. I doubt that, but maybe. You might do enough that maybe even your spouse doesn't because you still show up and you still do the things that everybody's expecting you to do, but you know. Your heart is not as close as it used to be. 
because you're dealing with disappointment. I want us to raise our hands right now. You feel what I feel? I feel Jesus walking through the aisles of this church. I feel Jesus walking through the aisles of this congregation right now. Come on, he's not very far from any one of us. He knows your disappointment. He knows your hurt. And he's not leaving you. He's walking with you. Come on, somebody. He's here today to touch you. But you've got to walk down to this altar right now and say, I've got to get back to Jerusalem. There's nothing for me in Emmaus. That's it. Come on, let's let it burn in this house. Come on, somebody awaken that burning of the Holy Ghost within us. Jesus, we need you in this hour. Lord, we need the visitation of your spirit in this hour. We need the manifest presence of God to move among us. We need you to sweep through this house right now, just like you did on the day of Pentecost. It was like fire that set up on each of them. And God, we need that fire one more time to settle down upon us. We need that moving of the Holy Ghost. I wish somebody would reach out like those two disciples and get a hold of Jesus. Constrain him. Jesus, I'm not letting you get away. I'm not letting you pass me by. Come on, he's here right now. I feel his presence. Come on, somebody, if you would reach out. He's not very far from you, but you got to reach out and get a hold of him. Your neighbor can't get a hold of him for you. The pastor or the preacher can't do it for you. You've got to reach out and get a hold of him and say, Jesus, stay here with me. I need you right now, Lord. I've got to draw close to you. hope you enjoyed this message. Please reach out to us if you have any questions. We can be found at firstpent.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-E-N-T dot org. If you're ever in Pensacola, Florida, we hope you visit us. Be blessed in Jesus' name.